Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to hey. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. Mix, of course, here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting. I'm so pleased when friends feel free to drop in and see what's going on here. I don't remember. I do not remember who sent me this email, but I am grateful 
and I hope you'll send me more email. This email says, if you're ready, you ain't lived till you tasted salt cod dried on the roof of Dennis Brown's camper next to the now defunct St. George dump. of Spike Jones on the Humble Farmer. A woman was wearing an Amelia Island shirt to the Grange Supper the other night. So, of course, I asked her where Amelia Island was. Amelia Island is on the Florida coast, right by the Georgia border. You might know this. People from Maine 
who still enjoy the frost and cold during the winter months, but not the snow, these are the people who winter on Amelia Island. It's like having a condo in Myrtle Beach. And as you know, Myrtle Beach is an excellent place to be when it's too cold in Maine, but still unbearably hot in Fort Denoe, Florida. But Amelia Island is not a place you'd want to be at any other time of year, because like South Carolina, Amelia Island is cold in the winter and hot in the summer. And cold happens to be on my mind because, although we now have fuzzy sheets on the bed, it's already time for the electric blanket. Last night I had to wrap my feet in a woolly bathrobe when I went to bed to keep from being uncomfortably cold. You know, around the 1st of September, within a week it goes from so hot in the bedroom, that's 80 degrees, that we have to run the fan for the first hour after sunset, you know, to cool the room down. It goes from that to so cold cold that we have to wrap our feet in sweaters when we go to bed. It's season changes that quickly. I've already been wearing a sweater over my pajamas to bed for a week or so now. Every day the sun shines for the next two months. I'll have to twist a valve and divert the solar-heated hot liquid into my cellar floor. Any other time of the year, as you know, our solar water heating system simply preheats water before it goes into the electric hot water heater. That's the water we use for showers and washing dishes and everything else in the house. My cellar office will be the only really comfortable room in the house. You understand that turning on the solar radiant heat during the summer months would drive the temperature down my office up to an unbearable 80, 85 degrees. But when it's cold everywhere else, oh, it is so nice to come into a room that is a pleasant and constant 76.
lot of energy Bix had, but just put everything, made the whole difference, didn't they? You might have heard on the news that a Utah elementary school teacher who was carrying a concealed firearm at school shot herself in the leg when the weapon discharged in a faculty bathroom. We would assume that it was an accident, just like the police chief up in Bangor shot himself. Could it have happened while thinking she was alone? She was trying to improve her lightning-fast draw before the students came in? Or think about this. Could the incident have been the result of something much more intimate and personal? The school spokesman says the gun went off shortly before class started. The media weren't given any details about the woman or what she taught, but she was carrying the weapon legally with a concealed firearm permit. Utah law... We understand, we read this, allows teachers and anyone else licensed to carry concealed weapons to wear a gun in a public school. <laughs> Officials are still investigating how the gun discharged. Hear that? That's the key right there. Officials are still investigating how the gun discharged. Well, may we therefore postulate that there are two categories of nuts in Utah? the one that comes into a classroom intending to shoot students, and the one that carries a concealed gun while teaching a class, thinking that he or she can outdraw and actually hit the intruder who enters the room while spraying bullets from an automatic weapon. One learns from this. If you're planning to wipe out a classroom of children in Utah, get the teacher first that she might have a gun. You ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how difficult it is to hit a person at 20 feet or even a person standing still with a pistol that fires only one bullet at a time? Because you've seen YouTube, a news video of store clerks and robbers exchanging a hail of gunfire without either one of them scoring a hit. Anyone who thinks it's easy to intentionally shoot a robber has watched too many cowboy movies. Think about this. It is much easier to shoot yourself or someone else by accident. I remember seeing a comic strip of a real Western gunfight in a mad magazine. Oh, it was over 50 years ago. The point of this comic strip was, this is what really happened in a gunfight. Two men facing each other on the street. One whips out his piece and blasts away, hitting nothing. The other... A seedy-looking character calmly removes his gun from the holster, spits tobacco juice two, three times, lifts the pistol up to eye level so he can take careful aim, and finally shoots the other guy dead. Bang! All this time being surrounded by a hail of bullets. Should we now help the Utah officials who are scratching their heads trying to figure out how the teacher's gun discharged? Someone stuck a hand down into some dark secret place and pulled the trigger. Think about this. If my kid were in that teacher's class, she'd get no perfume from this parent at Christmas time. I'd give her a tube of maximum strength hydrocortisone anti itch cream. <laughs> Thank you.
much brain or much wit but I know he's got it it <laughs> thank you for listening to the humble farmer here on your favorite radio station where with any luck at all you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time love to hear from you stop by or I am the humble farmer at gmail.com and here is something a little self a little help uh, item just for you. It might help you grow a better garden next year. You know how you always think of these things after the season's over. This has to do with irrigation, and I call it the elimination of interplant trickle. My squash crop is an admitted failure this year because I didn't water it on a regular basis. My brother plants around the 4th of July. His garden is watered 24-7 from a hose that runs downhill from great-great-grandfather spring, and his crops reach for the sky in August and September, while mine are brown and dried out and dead. This morning, writhing in bed like a sluggard until two minutes past seven, 
I conceived in my mind a new watering system for my garden. Please listen closely. My trickle hose always leaks and breaks, but I think I can beat it. I first thought of having a long hose with a couple of dozen tees that would feed individual hills. I couldn't figure out how to control the flow, and the tees would be expensive, but now I know what I'm going to do. My squash hills might be five, six foot apart, the length of a long-handled shovel apart. I will cover the trickle hose with five-foot lengths of larger pipe and only permit a foot or so of the trickle part to be exposed over the hill where I plant. Actually, I plant in valleys. The larger pipe is available for free at one of the ten best dumps in the United States. By covering most of the trickle hose with the larger pipe, I will only be irrigating the 12 inches that is actually over the plant where the trickle hose is actually exposed. And the water, think about this, the water that is in the five-foot length of larger pipe in between the plants will even run out on one end or the other, doesn't matter which, thus not irrigating the weeds that would thrive from the water trickled between the plants. You might want to give this way of doing things some serious thought. It is yours, as usual, as a gift from me.
Don't don't get me wrong. Now, when I say we had a crop failure, I mean that I might only get 20 or 30 buttercup squash for Marsha to freeze up to last us all year. We usually have 200 or more squash, and we sell or give away most of them. But it looks like this year we'll only have enough for our own greedy needs. In early September, I helped Marsha pick beans. We only had three poles of beans, and the deer ate most of the middle part out of them. They kind of beans on the pole kind of looked like an hourglass. The deer chewed everything at their right at their height. But Marsha says she got eight quarts or so of beans, as I recall, that she put in the freezer. And now that I think of it, remember what I just said about the irrigation system. I think I'll put down that same irrigation system on my rhubarb before it comes up next spring. Put that all those pipes down when the ground is still bare. Let the rhubarb grow up around it. What I conceive should rival the heating system in the baths of Pompeii. By just watering the plants, shouldn't it cut down on the weeds that thrive when you sprinkle the entire garden? What do you think of that, dear? Thank you. 
my goodness, be insulting to tell you who it was, because there's only one person that could have done that. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you for listening. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com, and I really appreciated the visit of those three gentlemen that stopped in a short while ago. They said they liked what I play. Can you imagine that? They like this music. Here is an email from Craig. Craig says, I had a teacher once who had the theory that the reason it was so hard to get people to stop driving to work and commute on mass transit was because for many people it was the only quiet, alone time they had in the cacophony of their daily lives, and we absolutely needed that. That seems to be changing in the short term as we populate our car with gizmos, but once the robots take over the driving responsibilities, maybe we will be able to return to our peace and quiet. Well, is this not an interesting observation by Craig? Think about this. Nowadays, you see so many cars go by with people talking on cell phones. Have you ever stopped to wonder who or what might be driving? And would you want to meet it in the woods at night?
Thank you for listening. While out for my morning walk, I noticed that Jimmy Parker is shingling his north roof. He's also replacing all the boards first so he'll have something to nail to. Jimmy was happened to be looking at me when I went by and he saw me pick up a nickel bottle some Port Clyde native had thrown on his lawn the night before, so I figured since he seen me pick it up, I'd better stop and garner some gossip. Jimmy tells me that his daughter is still lawyering in New York City, and when I mentioned that I drive a hundred extra miles on my way south, you know, just to avoid sitting for an hour in D.C. gridlock, Jimmy said... I should get a television screen for my car. He says a German man told him that Americans do everything in their cars except drive them. He said Americans have cup holders so they can drink and phones so they can talk and TV screens, which they watch during the hours they're stuck in traffic. This German man said a very interesting thing. He said, in Germany we drive our cars... What do you do in your car? I'm so old, I can barely remember what I used to do in mine.
Weird last change. Did you hear it? Uh, did you hear it? Weird, weird last change there. The problem with getting information from any web page, as you well know, is that you first must know the source from whence cometh this web page. Knowing nothing about the source of a web page about student debt, I had no idea if this page on student debt was written by the banking industry or a person who actually wants to educate us and tell us what's going on. Knowing the source of your information is the first and most important thing about becoming informed on any topic. For example, when you see thousands of red or blue or green signs along the highway that say, vote no on one, you can bet your bottom dollar that it will be to your advantage to vote yes on one. Vote against it. And this is without even knowing what the issue is. When corporate America is willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on huge green or blue or red signs to sway your vote, and even have trailer trucks up by the road with huge messages on them, you can be sure that those signs are there to help you vote against your own economic interests.
You remember back when I made some shelves in my new office? They were all a fraction of an inch too small. Nothing worth putting on a shelf will fit on any of those shelves I built, those new shelves. Why does this happen? My boat-building neighbor, Jimmy Parker, claims it has to do with the Puritan ethic of economy. That means that people in New England can't bring themselves to waste any space. This is why a barn is always just large enough to hold everything you own. You might remember when Richard Hill tore his barn down. It's my understanding he did it because he knew that was the only way he could get rid of what was in it. Whenever anyone in Maine builds a box or a shelf, they measure what they want to put into the box or on the shelf, and then they make them just that size so that it is an exact fit. But when you do that, the shelf or box is always an eighth or sixteenth of an inch too small. You never measure it quite right. And Jimmy Parker claims that this problem will be eliminated when we convert to the metric system because a meter will give us three extra inches for every yard. All right. One, two, one. Thank <laughs> you. 
Just the way you look tonight. Do, 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 do. One morning I saw something that made me holler and laugh out loud. Oh, I screamed. It said that former governor of Virginia, Bob McDonald, and his wife were convicted of taking bribes to produce some dietary supplement. This was some kind of corruption case. Taking bribes seemingly temporarily derailed the career of this one-time rising Republican star. And it told us more than we really wanted to know about the couple's broken marriage because we have to assume that they fought and bickered all the time. Only greed for more money seemed to keep them together. Do you remember way back when this handsome, smiling man was considered a possible running mate for Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney there in the 2012 presidential campaign? Now we read that he and his wife face up to 20 years in prison for each conspiracy, fraud, and bribery conviction. But do you know what this man said when the cell door was about to close in on him for taking bribes? <laughs> they said he turned and quietly said, All I can say is that my trust remains in the Lord. And that's when my next-door neighbor probably wondered where the raucous laughter was coming from. Because do you remember when Jim Baker was locked up with Lyndon LaRouche? The humble farmer question for this week is, who would be an appropriate cellmate for Bob McDonald? Perhaps his wife? <laughs> ¶¶ 